Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code Would That Be Good for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 391st episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your sleep-deprived host, Mason, joined by my also sleep-deprived co-host, Abe. Abe, how's it like to not have much sleep? Not that bad, actually. You know, I feel like I, I got a lot of rest in over the holidays, so having a day where I'm not very rested, change of pace, you know? You, you really get to appreciate the rested days when you have one right back at it where you just are tired so <laughs> sometimes you go you just go really hard and you need to keep on going for the next day and then you get to sleep like big sleep the next one but yeah I like no that. sunshine if there's no rain man true true king I, that's so true i love that today we're gonna be doing an episode on what it means to be playing games in your head how important that is and what we mean by that and how it's going to really help you save a lot of time when it comes to testing for magic and greatly improve but first we do need to be doing always improving and supporting the show. Spencer is out sick this week, so there's always improving moments getting better. But Abe, what was your way of improving and getting better at Magic this week? Right, we did the resolution episode last week. Uh, I talked you know, kind of a bit about the future of Magic and what it holds. And I really spent a lot of time this week thinking about like my involvement with it, reconnecting with people who are really instrumental in my growth as a Magic player. People like Jonathan Skenick and AJ Kerrigan, like my best friends. And just spending time talking to them more about like getting everything else around magic and like how they've balanced it and things like into place, you know, keeping the communication pathways open there, you know, people who understand a lot of, you know, that balance is like and, and what it is to, to go through and really just worked on, you know, just strengthening that kind of like a maintenance thing of like keeping things in balance, keeping those people around me and, and doing upkeep on that so that, uh, you know, as like these SCGs were announced. There's more on the way. We, we have like a new organized play director. There's just so much change that's happened in the last uh, last couple of weeks that I can be in this place where I'm ready to kind of move out of the COVID era of magic and into uh, the post-COVID era of magic, I, I suppose. So really just laying foundation for growth and for the for the future and making it clear what my priorities were for the people who are going to be a part of that and, and who I want to be a part of that. So, yeah. Nice. How about you, Mason? Mine was really doing the the legwork on Yawgmoth specifically. So the Yawgmoth deck I've been playing uh, a lot of recently because we've, we've talked about it some a little bit here on the show, Abe, where it's like Yawgmoth feels like a deck that's really close to being great. It's like if you were to use a tier thing, like a 1.5 thing, it's just missing a little something. And in the back of my mind, I've always wondered like, okay, I think these things are true and theoretical, but how much of this may be also a case of player skill and like piloting the deck and like are these things holding the deck back how hard is the hurdles that sort of stuff etc etc i really wanted to know about because i think it is really close and it's like 
a singular card in any of a different couple different areas, I think would really push it over the edge to that like great deck thing. So I've really put in the work and learning it and learning about like which flex slots you kind of want, why you want these cards, which ones are better, which ones are worse in certain spots. Same thing for sideboarding. And I've really kind of put a lot of legwork in on understanding that and then trying to conceptualize like what the kind of hive mind of Yog Mothians, you know, the the Phyrexians, I guess, in a lot of ways, uh, why they came to these conclusions. There's some of the things that make a lot of sense and I agree with, and there are some things that I like wholly disagree with. But it has is an extreme way of saying it. But I've disagreed with like some of these people and talked to them that would be like names that people say these are the Yog experts. It's been really interesting to kind of do the homework, get in there, and kind of look around in the Yogmoth space and see kind of like, hey, what's going on here? And I, the deck is really good. I think my first assumption of it was right, and I do think the deck's pretty hard. And there's definitely a bunch of games where like I made a bunch of mistakes, but now I'm starting to kind of really be able to get the gears going without having to stop and think so so much about everything a lot of shortcuts are being figured out I, we've talked about it off podcast before that i kind of had this arc of you know like aaron barrett played it a ton uh, towards like in like the oko era and stuff mm-hmm. like was it was a huge advocate of the deck and i think tom ross did too and like you know then reed duke played it at vegas and all of those people had like very good performances with those decks but it doesn't really replicate that on many other levels a weird reminder to see something like that and be like you know, all that a best deck is, or like, you know, a really good deck, a deck that starts winning tournaments out of nowhere is, is the culmination of like, you know, workshopping of, of an idea and working with the card pool to figure out how you can best accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And it's kind of a small thing, just like this one niche modern deck when at a time where people are playing way less magic tournaments than they used to, it, it's really cool to see that you're able to be like on the front lines of that, like, like really breaking new ground or or introducing new ideas to the hive mind of Yawgmoth players. Uh, and that is really cool. Definitely a good way to improve as like a deck builder and to get a bunch of different perspectives from people who are also trying to accomplish. It, it doesn't happen a lot that you get a, a good opportunity in Magic to like be on the forefront of things. It's definitely a huge like playing field to, to level up in a lot of ways. So I think it's really awesome for you. I, uh, I enjoy that deck a lot. It's a really fun to play. I've been enjoying streaming and I own paper now. Thanks to the good people at Oasis Games. And that's going to do it for our Always Improving segment. Thank you so much if you support the show on Patreon. The show will always be free. But if you're a patron of the show, you get some benefits. You get access to the Discord. You get to see the post-show. I'm sorry, the pre-show. I misspoke there. That's what happens when you're a little asleep. Uh, but you do all those things. So thank you so much for supporting the show. If you do that, the show will be free. But it does mean a lot if you do that. On to our main topic, though. Today, we're going to be talking about playing games in our head and what exactly that means and how this is going to be helpful for you. And Abe, do you kind of want to take the reins here for a second? We, we've kind of been talking about it for, for the people who listen every week. You know we've been talking about playing games in our head for probably about a month, and that's because all of us have really been thinking about how to make this a tool that is accessible to our listeners, something that we tend to do. And really, I think the best way to think about it is that playing games in your head is a great way to start forming shortcuts and like forming opinions without actually having the time to like sit down and play test games, like jam games with, with a friend and then evaluate things. You can kind of at a very bare bones level, take a, a bit of a snapshot of a game state that you know could happen. Cause you know what the decks look like, start making decisions or looking at decisions that are available to you in that moment and really use that to build an understanding or build upon what you already might know to, towards things. So it's really just a great tool towards improving or kind of testing your ideas or theory crafting ideas about 
what's important or what matters in, in tons of different situations. It's really just a thing you can use to make everything else work better. It's another thing to add to your repertoire of, you know, I want to understand this more. I want to be more prepared and, and really let, let, let that lose. That, if that makes sense to you, Mason. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it, we you know we kind of joked with this before the show, but if you've seen the Marvel films, it's kind of like when Dr. Strange goes and says like, I've seen a thousand timelines, right? And this is the one where we win. And it, it is kind of like you're taking a bunch of little snapshots and getting ideas and opinions and you're kind of seeing things without having actually done them or lived them, right? You are just kind of thinking about and critically assessing sort of puzzles that you're creating in the moment to then kind of shortcut or cheat on time where maybe you normally couldn't be playing matches of magic. We have the inability to financially, time-wise, you know, there's a bunch of different constraints. And you can do this in a lot of different ways. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. But it has huge benefits in that. And that's why this is so important. This is why it's been such a thing that we've kind of harped on. We've been like, hey, this is coming. We want to do it. We want to think about it more. Because when done correctly, I think it leads to huge success. And it's not a replacement for... um playing games or anything like that and there's still some amount of like actual like picking up the cardboard especially if you're really starting to take those early steps in your magic career and actually getting your hands dirty and getting in the trenches that stuff's all really good you can cheat it a little bit and you can also make your time a little bit more efficient and this allows you for things like when you're on the bus or on the train you know you can actually be practicing magic and working through these sort of things and kind of like Abe said forming your opinions so that when it comes time when you get home and you hop on the discord with your friends locally or from you know boomer zoomer or something like that then you're able to like actually have these conversations and you don't have to spend time thinking they're like what do i think about this spot or these spots what do i think about the matchup because you have done a bunch of legwork and a bunch of homework on this is how i think about these matchups this is how i think things are going to play out in these common-ish scenarios and so i think the matchup goes this sort of way where the key points are these sort of things it's a hard concept to really breach right because it's so theoretical it's literally about kind of crafting a board state in your head and being like okay i'm a player here uh, let's say this is my hand, you know, it's kind of a reasonable situation to be in, or this is a, a single decision point I'm facing. What is the correct decision or, or what are the things that inform my decision? You know, you're, you're just really sitting there like, okay, I'm in a game of magic against my opponent. Wherever in your in your mental space you are, you could be in the finals of the Pro Tour, for all that matters, you know, the finals of Worlds. This is my hand. This is what my opponent's board state is. What is it I should be thinking about? What are the things that are important based on what I know? Putting yourself in this situation, it's like making your own amulet puzzle, kind of, except it's a lot less finite. For those who aren't familiar, Amulet Titan, there's a lot of little screenshot puzzles. This is where you are. Can you kill your opponent from here with the Amulet Titan deck? Can you combo off? What is the way you do it exactly? Walk through all the steps, except instead of being a test, you know, your understanding of the machinations of, like, you know, this kind of complicated engine in this one deck, it can be things like, okay... Like, they're casting this this spell. Should I counterspell it? Should I just wait a turn and cast a removal spell on it? Do I care about it at all? Like, what are the things I should be caring about? Should I save my thing? And really just evaluating a, a situation and all of the, the ways it could move from there to really get a sense for, you know, either playing that match in the future, you've already kind of spent some amount of time parsing this and you can use your mental energy in other places, which is very important. Like, you know, honestly, a game of magic, if everyone has infinite time, 
uh, an infinite patience. Like there is no reason to ever make a quote unquote wrong decision by the numbers and stuff, but there is only a finite amount of effort you can put into any match and, you know, thinking quickly and solving problems quickly is a thing. So all of that mental energy you spend thinking about a problem beforehand, it serves you dividends in an actual tournament because, you know, in that setting, you're more prepared already in that situation because you've thought about it. Mason, you want to tell the burn example? Yeah, this is the one because I had this come up a bunch with four color and it's been the the kind of the go-to example that I give to people. So, you know, you're playing and this can be any deck, but the, the deck I always use for the example is four color control. Um, but you're playing four color control and you're playing against burn. And you think about what happened on the early turns of the game and you, you start on turn two and they're casting an Eidolon. And you think about like, okay, is this Eidolon a problem? Is this something I would solitude? And what are the white cards I would solitude? It's like a grid, and so I kind of think about, okay, if my opponent Goblin Guided on one and attacked me, and then they attacked me again in the main phase two playing an Eidolon, would I pitch a Teferi 3? Would I pitch a Prismatic Ending? Would I pitch another Solitude? Would I be, like, committing to Yorion on the next one? And I could go on and on and on through all the white cards in the deck, you know? And you kind of walk through that scenario, and you think about those things, you think about what you would do, when you wouldn't do it, when would you wait, like, wait to draw step it, that sort of things and you're basically testing yourself and quizzing yourself and then once you kind of go through those steps where everything you go back to turn zero and you're like okay so now this time they monastery swift speared me and they hit me right and then they played the eidolon and then you go okay they suspended a rift bolt and then they played an eidolon and this has sort of been giving you a little mini snapshot of how the games are playing out and this gives you context to sort of think about okay these are the things that have happened this is what my hand looks like. How would I respond in these situations? And the Eidolon burn example I just gave you is a little bit more elaborate than most of the things we've talked about so far with the screenshot, but it's also a simple elaborate that is very, very common. And it's something you can easily do when you play any deck versus burn. I've done this a lot with Yogg, where I've thought about like, okay, burn seems like a matchup that's a little tricky, I think favored for me. How would I go about things and how do the games kind of play out? And I think about stuff along those lines. And I think about what my hand looks like with the cards that aren't the other white card for solitude. So in the example I kind of gave you, I, I shortcut a little bit there, but I tried to also think about what the rest of my hand looks like. So for example, let's say that my opponent went Goblin Guide on one and hit, attacked me, and then I play a land I pass. They play attack with the Goblin Guide and they play Eidolon, and I have a solitude in hand. Well, I might have Abundant Growth, which is a one mana cantrip. I'm more inclined to discard almost any of my white cards if I'm my mana is looking rocky and I need to fix my mana and draw cards. While if I have a card like maybe let's say Fury, I'm going to wait because if I draw a red card, I might be able to kill both of these creatures for there and then save the Solitude, which is a life-linking creature that might be helpful for the next threat or might be actually gaining some life in a couple turns if I can enable stabilize and get to that point in the game. And so I think about those sort of things and I think about... Do I have bolts? Do I have unholy heats? How am I going to be sequencing my turns? What are the things I could be drawing in this situation? And then I kind of interchange the cards in my hand and think about them in new light. So it's like, okay, well, if I had the Fury, I would definitely wait. But what if I had two Renin Sixes? You know, it's like, okay, there's a lot of value in waiting um, maybe a turn to try and get the Fury on the draw step. We're casting a card like Expressive Iteration in order to find like an Ephemerate or a Fury. And so well, that's a little in the weeds of the conversation. I hate to get too much into that sort of thing. I'm trying my best to give you an example of what I've done so that you can simulate that for your deck. So let's say you're a blue-white control player. You might be able to think about, okay, I have Archmage's Charm. I have uh, Counterspell. I have Prismatic Ending. Maybe you have Path. You know, you have a Snapcaster Mage to actually block. 
Like these are all cards you could think about that are interacting with it. Or you might have a solitude and no white cards and you'll be like, okay, am I willing to save my counterspell now in order to like just pick up a Kahira and pitch it on the next turn? Those sort of things really matter and are ways for you if you're having a harder time getting uh, into a deck or getting practice versus a deck to kind of take these basic situations and learn from them and so when i when i give you these examples i hope it's not overwhelming you with solitude and fury and that sort of thing but think about it in the context of the deck that you play right in the context of hammer time in the context yeah, of I, I whatever think that's a really good point you just made about doing it in the context of your deck because when i first started using this mm-hmm. and really started thinking about the skill was actually when it was during like green black energy mardu vehicle standard format Uh, My friend Jonathan was teaching me about the Mardu Vehicles Mirror, and he was like, let's just look over some of the deck lists that are getting dumped from the the 5-0s on Magic Online, and let's just see, like, kind of what it looks like people are doing and how they think things are playing out, because I was trying to figure out how to sideboard mirrors. Just a very simple question of, like, how are you sideboarding mirror? How should I be? And he was like, I don't know. I haven't really played. Let's look at it. The thing that he kind of pointed out to me is, like, okay, well, you've played a little bit of Mardu Vehicles by now because you're asking me how to sideboard you have an understanding of how you want your deck to play out when you sideboard think about and this kind of came down to like a play draw thing of like what is the way that you're you want your deck to play out what are the kinds of openings that you want to have and that you like are mulliganing towards and that you expect to have out of your good hands right so what happens if your opponent does the same thing and that's a very easy starting point to get at is especially when it comes to decks you understand right burn is a really great example because it is very linear it has one objective which is just to burn you out of a decision point like eidolon is one of the few places where you get a lot of decision on the other end of how much damage does this deal me with the creatures it's your your best point of interaction usually you know it's easy to understand but if you think about it of your mirror match like when i'm playing a hammer time mirror match and before i even ever encounter my first i was like okay i think what's going to happen is because of the like the way the decks look is that flying creatures are the best things unless you're the only person with a shadow spear, you know, ink moth nexus is really important because it flies and, and the lifelink from shadow spear makes everything kind of neutral. I'm playing the game in my head because I'm like, okay, if everything goes on forever and everyone, if we're both putting hammers on creatures and moving around, we have shadow spear and everyone's gaining all this life. How do you ever break through that? How do you trump that? You can look at it at small decision points. You can look at it from like a bird's eye view. There's a lot of ways you can view things just with the information that I consider playing a game in your head. but it has to be something where you have a good understanding of what's going on, or at least a foundational understanding of what things look like. So this is something I would really try to emphasize using as like to reflect on an experience you're having. You're playing a matchup, you're not really sure what's going wrong with it, and you're thinking about the game that's happening. You're like, oh, you know, like, why do I lose every time they cast a fairy on three? Maybe you need some instance that like later your plan in the games you win is to be able to actually interact in some speed. But those are important things to like know and understand because if you look at it and go, oh, I'm looking at these kind of game states and the problems that occur down the line are because of this one thing, it really just tells you a lot. You can take the knowledge that you have already from your experiences, like mix and match them and piece them together in ways that paint even more of the picture than if you just stuck with all the games you saw. And I think that's really at the heart of it to me, the most important thing about playing games in your head is getting the most out of the time that you do spend understanding what's going on in the game of magic or trying to get the most out of the time you spend you know that that, that's like always the the end all magic is a thing that requires not only so much time and energy but it is 
uh, nigh impossible to get actually enough time and energy like out of actually playing the games. They're just too time consuming. They're too variable. They're too different. So we as Magic players need to do a good job of deriving data from insufficient data points, right? And this is like kind of one of the hallmarks about what makes a great player from a good player from like an average player is how much they can glean and get from the games they play going into these events. And this is why things like pro tours, especially when they used to be in the first two weeks, they're, I mean, obviously incredibly field testing, but we would see these teams that if they had spent two weeks all playing a bunch of standard against each other, as long as they had not missed anything that was too big, they would have these incredible win results where now when you see that we have like, a month to a month and a half of things before the pro tour, we're seeing the field kind of even out a little bit. And that's b- partly because it's much easier to play games, than magic, but there's more time for more data to be shared and you can get more out of it. Right. You have, you don't have to squeeze the lemon so quickly. You can really squeeze it with a lot more time there. And even that's sometimes not enough to get a true hundred percent accurate picture, but that's something that you just can't expect to truly have too much of in magic. And so with that being the case, you have to do things in order to kind of mitigate this and help it there. And this is one of those ways where creating these game states and these snapshots and thinking through these sometimes puzzles in the case of like, you know, amulet time stuff, but other times just hypotheticals. It's almost like you're getting interviewed for a job, right? And they're like, okay, so this customer walks in that they're supposed to get a refund on their hot dog machine because their hot dog machine doesn't work, right? And like, how do you handle the situation? That is not much different than Okay, so you're playing Shadow and you're playing against Hammer. The board kind of looks like this. Your life total is this number. What do you do? And then if you know you want to get into it, it's like, okay, now your life total is this number. How big is your Shadow? What do you do? And like, how much are you willing to be able to take chip shots with more life you have versus and trying to incentivize them to chip shot you? And things along those lines I think are super important and are great ways for you as a player to get so much out of it. And that's why it is so important. And I know that... It's an awkward thing to talk about, right, Abe? Like, we mentioned this a little bit here. If we get too much in the weeds about things, for you, the listener, it becomes confusing and it's hard yeah. to do because you're, you're listening to us give you a picture of a thing in our head, right? And Magic is a game that I don't know if you all have played this before. It's very complicated. There's a lot of things that go on on the board. It's a very intense game. And so, listeners, we're trying to give you examples of these sort of things so that you can take it and extrapolate it and really get the most out of it. Our hope and our goal with this is that we kind of explained and sold you on why it's so important that you do this process, right? Uh, That you try and get this going and you try to take these kind of challenges or whatever to actually do it because it will give you big benefits and will give you big rewards that really matter uh, in improving in magic, but you have to deem it worth your time and give it the kind of time and respect it deserves to get the most out of it. But even if you kind of half-ass do it, you will get a lot more out of that than spending your time not doing something like that. And if you're wanting to compete and do really well at magic, one way to really do well, I, I think, in magic is to maximize all the time you can where you normally can't be maximizing your time. And so this allows you to do that in spots where you normally just can't be playing Magic, especially for formats like Modern and Legacy, where you're essentially in the current era locked in on Moto only. And so there'll be plenty of times you just cannot play Moto, or you can't rent the deck, or you can't play against another deck. It's super helpful, uh, in my opinion, and helps you kind of get in the head of your deck. And I hope that we've sold you today on why this is so important, how to kind of do it, and why you should be doing it. Last thing to say, if you've listened to this episode 
and you're still confused about it, let me try to put it like this. You know, if, if you've ever tried to spend some time either playing, you're like watching your friend play a match at a tournament or at your, your weekly or you're playing some matches on arena and screen sharing and watching together and you come to a decision point, you're like, oh, what do you think I should do here? It, your friend asks you that. And then you're kind of like, oh, I think I should do this and this is why. Or like maybe you don't know and you're encountering that that position for the first time and you're really trying to work to solve it. You're just having that moment with yourself, with the game state you're picking for yourself. You're like, oh, it would be interesting if this happened. What would I do? You take that and you work with it until you kind of understand what it is you would do and why. For the people who you work with on, on Magic, if you have any, talk to them about, I have the situation that like came up or I thought about. What do you think you would do here? And talk through it with someone else and you can really getting a better understanding of, of a lot of the why. Because you put yourself in a situation and are forced to, to answer the question and make a decision on something that is kind of hypothetical and open-ended, but it, it informs a lot about what you're thinking about and what you're doing. And being able to have that moment of really understanding why for yourself and, and coming to it yourself, and then being able to share that, I think both are, are really, really huge things to, to the improvement process, uh, especially when you're working with other people. So I hope that everything we've said some of it sticks and, and you can really start to get a process down that works for you and, and start to figure out what playing games in your head means to you. Because it really is, you know, I don't think I play games in, in my head the same way that Mason does, the same way that Spencer does, the same way that anyone does. But I do know that we all, in a way, do it. Once you start doing it, you know, the sky's the limit on the things you can, you know, really, really learn about and, and the things you can do with it. So what you make of it with that process is, is really on you. So uh, we, we just hope that this was explanation of what it is that we mean when we say that, you know, what it is we're doing and how you can really think about what of this process from each of us you can incorporate yourself. If you can really get it down, you will notice that you're having a lot more insight and a lot better conversations, I think, about the games you're playing. It, it's just like having having that one moment that you remember or think about from your Discord call a month ago. You're just having that moment with yourself and then you're able to have that many more of them. So find the truth of the matchup, the truth of the moment. You can figure it all out there. I hope this episode was helpful, just like Abe said there. Thank you all so much for listening. Abe, if someone wanted to find you, where could they go? Twitter.com slash more nothings. DMs still open for coaching. Still trying to help you be the best Hammer Time player alive. It's just, just what I'll do. How about you? That's, that's, all y'all, that's all you're about. You know, you're about sliced bread and hammers. <laughs> I think that got picked up on the mic. Uh, <laughs> if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me over on Card Kingdom each and every Thursday writing about standard historical alchemy. Get your deck list there. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructive Criticism. We'll be back next week for another riveting episode of Constructive Criticism.